questions and answers. Take a look back in the time. The shepherds were in the field watching over their flocks when all of a sudden they are told the wondrous news of a baby's birth. I can only imagine how amazed they must have been. But we are told in the scriptures of Christ's birth centuries before he was born. The Christmas prophecies, where are they found and what do they proclaim? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the arena of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. In today's broadcast, let's tune in as Pat will share a beautiful message entitled, Christmas Prophecies. If you're unable to hear this study, all of our broadcasts are available on our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Now, here's our host, Pat Zucran. Christianity has a unique legacy of prophecy. No other religion has such a miraculous legacy of prophecy as Christianity does. Events predicted centuries before they occur with great detail and with great accuracy. No other religion has such a legacy. Jesus often referred to his fulfillment of prophecy to support his claim to be the divine Son of God. When the apostles preached presenting their case for Jesus Christ, they often pointed to the evidence of fulfilled prophecy. And to this day, prophecy is one of the most remarkable, but also one of the strongest evidences for the divine inspiration of the Bible and our faith in Jesus Christ. And so prophecy presents a very powerful legacy and evidence for indeed the divine nature of the Bible, but also of Jesus Christ. Now, prophecy is unique to Christianity. No other religion has such a legacy of prophecy as presented in the Bible of Christianity. And why is this important? Well, God confirms his message and messengers with miracles. And prophecy is one of the miraculous confirmations of the Bible and faith in Jesus Christ. For it's only an eternal, omniscient, all-knowing being that can predict future events with complete accuracy. The Bible states in Isaiah chapter 42, verse 9, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to anyone else or share my praise with carved idols. Everything I prophesied has come true, and now I will prophesy again. I will tell you the future things before it happens. Behold, the former things have come to pass, now I declare new things before they spring forth. I proclaim them to you. The only one who could predict future events with great accuracy, 100% accuracy, is indeed an eternal being, a being who transcends time. And the only person who does that is indeed God. So therefore, when you see numerous prophecies accurately predicted coming to pass, you know that it is indeed coming from an eternal, omniscient being. Isaiah 44 states, I am the Lord, I am the first, and I am the last. There is no God besides me. Who is like me? So God offers a challenge here. Who is like him? And here's one of the proofs or one of the challenges that no one else can meet but God himself. Let him proclaim and declare it. Yes, let him recount it to me in order from the time that I established the ancient nation and let them declare to them the things that are coming and the events that are going to take place. And so one of the proofs that indeed demonstrate the inspiration of the Bible and that this is indeed the Word of God and the words of God Himself, God offers a challenge to prophesy of future things and see if they come to pass. For only an eternal, omniscient being can predict future things with tremendous accuracy and be correct 100% of the time. 
In Isaiah 46, God once again states, Remember the former things long past, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, things which have not been done, saying, My purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. The reason God can predict future things with 100% accuracy is that He's an eternal being, but also He's a sovereign being. He knows what will come to pass because he will indeed bring it to pass. In verse 10 of Isaiah 46, he states, Only I can tell you the future before it even happens. Everything I plan will come to pass, for I do whatever I wish. Isaiah 48, he states, Long ago I told you what was going to happen. Then suddenly I took action, and all my predictions came true. In verse 5, he states, Even from the beginning I've declared it to you. Before it came to pass, I proclaimed it to you lest you should say, my idol had done them. So prophecy is one of the great testimonies and evidences that something is indeed divinely inspired by God himself. For only God, an eternal being, can see the future with 100% accuracy. Jesus pointed to fulfilled prophecy as evidence of his claims to be the divine Son of God. In John chapter 5, he states to the Pharisees that the scriptures indeed testify that he is indeed the divine son of God. He said, you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Jesus states that the prophecies of the Old Testament indeed point exactly to him. He said to the Pharisees in Luke 24, this is what I told you while I was still with you. And Jesus, on the road to Emmaus, with his disciples, pointed to prophecy as indeed proof that he is indeed the divine Son of God, the Messiah of Israel. And he said to them, his disciples, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Christ pointed indeed to the prophecies of him in the Old Testament that verify he is indeed the Messiah of Israel, the divine Son of God. Now, there are over a hundred prophecies made of Christ in the Old Testament, which he fulfills each one. And that is completely amazing. Peter Stoner, in his book, Science Speaks, writes of the probability of Christ fulfilling just eight of the Messianic prophecies just by chance. Eight of those. And he says the probability is one over 10 to the 17th power. And that's just eight of those prophecies. Well, what about the probability of Christ fulfilling 48 prophecies by chance? Well, he calculates it's 1 over 10 to the 157th power. In other words, it's almost a mathematical zero that Christ could have fulfilled these prophecies just by chance. Where he would be born, his lineage, the exact date of his death, the nature of his ministry, how he would be killed, all that is predicted with 100% accuracy. And Peter Stoner says, well, the probability of that is just 48 of those is 1 over 10 to the 157th power. I mean, that's, that's almost a mathematical zero here. Something else is going on. It's indeed the divine hand of God. So prophecy here is a powerful testimony that indeed... Christ is indeed the divine Son of God, and the Bible is indeed the divinely inspired Word of God. Now, let's look at some prophecies in this time of the season. Let's look at some very interesting prophecies referring to the birth of Jesus Christ. Well, when it comes to the lineage of the Messiah, 
the Messiah is to come from the tribe of Judah. That's prophesied in Genesis 49, when Jacob, before his death, is finally giving his blessing to his 12 sons. Upon Judah, he gives this blessing, which is also a prophecy. He says here in chapter 49 of Genesis, Judah, your brother shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down, he crouched as a lion, and as a lioness who dares to rouse him. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until the tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. In verse 10, the scepter, the ruler's scepter, shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. In other words, the king of the nations shall come from the tribe of Judah. So that is one of the prophecies of the lineage of the Messiah, that he shall indeed come from the tribe of Judah. But not only from the tribe of Judah, a prophecy is made several centuries later that the Messiah shall be the descendant, not only of the tribe of Judah, but of the line of King David. And this prophecy is found here in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Here, this is the famous, what is called the Davidic covenant here. And a promise, a covenant is made to King David by God himself. And he says this, The Lord says to David, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Now the one who builds a temple for the Lord is indeed Solomon. But God says to David that your throne and your kingdom shall be established forever. Well, Solomon didn't do that. The throne of David would be established forever and that one day a descendant of David's line shall come and rule and sit on David's throne and rule an everlasting kingdom. And that is a future prophecy of the Messiah. And indeed, there are other prophecies throughout the Old Testament and the Jews were waiting for a ruler from the line of David to sit on David's throne and establish an everlasting kingdom. And so the Messiah who is to come is to be a descendant of King David. Christ did fulfill those requirements coming from the line of Judah and a descendant of King David. The genealogies found in Matthew and Luke from the line of Joseph and from the line of Mary both show that Christ does indeed come from the tribe of Judah, from the lineage of King David. He does indeed fulfill these requirements. Then Isaiah 7.14 speaks of the miraculous birth of the Messiah. Isaiah 7.14 states, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, there has been some controversy regarding this prophecy here. The Hebrew word there for virgin is the Hebrew word Alma, and it can mean virgin, or it can mean a young maiden who is not necessarily a virgin. And so there has been some controversy around this passage. Is it really prophesying that a virgin will give a miraculous birth? Is it really a prophecy of Jesus, or did the New Testament writer simply just take this out of context? Well, if you do a word study of the word Alma, it is true in Hebrew literature that the word Alma can mean a virgin or it can mean a young maiden. However, if you do a word study of Alma in the Old Testament, 
It is used about half a dozen times in the Old Testament. Genesis 24, verse 43. Here in Genesis chapter 24, Abraham's servant goes back to the land of Canaan. For example, in Genesis chapter 24, Abraham commands his servants to go back to the land of his forefathers to find a wife for his son Isaac. And so Abraham's servant goes and he finds Rebekah. And he's telling the story to Rebekah's father. And he says in verse 43, Behold, I'm standing by the spring of the water. Let the virgin who comes out to draw water, to whom I shall say, Please give me a little water from yours to drink. Now here Abraham's servant is looking for a sign from the Lord. And he says, Lord, if you bring a young Alma or virgin around and gives me a drink, I will know this is the one that is to be the future wife of Isaac. That's why he says in verse 43, when he's telling the story, Behold, I'm standing by the spring of water. Let the virgin or the Alma, okay, I hope he wasn't looking for a married woman to bring back to Isaac. Indeed, he was looking for a virgin. So when you do a word study of the word Alma, it's used about half a dozen times in the Old Testament. Genesis 24, as I just mentioned here, Exodus 2, Psalm 68, verse 25, Proverbs 30, verse 19, Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 3, and others. The word Alma always means virgin and also the Septuagint. Okay, The Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. It was translated into Greek about 150 years before Christ. And this was translated by Hebrew scholars. It was translated 150 years before even Christianity. So these are Hebrew scholars. And when they translated the term Alma here in Isaiah 7:14, they used the Greek word that means virgin. So even the Hebrew scholars translated the word Alma as virgin when it came to the Greek Septuagint. The Greek word that is used there by these Jewish scholars is Parthenos, which means it's a very precise word in the Greek for virgin. So the Hebrew scholars themselves translate this word Alma in the context of Isaiah 14 as virgin. So the Christ would be born of a virgin. In other words, he would have some kind of supernatural birth. Now, this is also hinted at in one of the earliest prophecies in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. After the fall, God's grace is revealed in that one day he speaks of the future redemption of mankind. And in Genesis 3.15, one of the earliest messianic prophecies, he says this, I will put enmity between you and the woman, you being the serpent, you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now the redeemer or the coming offspring would be the seed of the woman. Now this is very interesting here because normally the descendants are traced through the lineage of the father. This is a very patriarchal society here in the time of Genesis and throughout the Old Testament. And so the lineage of the descendants is traced through the Father. However, it's very interesting here that God says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. Enmity will come in the seed of the woman. So there's an implication here that the Messiah would not have a natural father. Father is not mentioned here. He says the seed of the woman. So that is a hint that indeed the Messiah will be indeed virgin-born. He will be the seed of a woman, referring to perhaps a miraculous birth, a virgin birth. And it's fulfilled in Luke chapter 1, verse 34. Of course, when the angel speaks to Mary and says that she will give birth to the Messiah, and she says, how can this be? I am a virgin. So we see Mary here acknowledging a miraculous birth. Also, the fact that Joseph, she was betrothed to Joseph, but she was already found pregnant 
And so Joseph quietly wanted to divorce her or break off the engagement shows that Joseph saw that indeed this was some kind of mysterious or miraculous birth. He originally thought perhaps she had been in an immoral relationship when the angel of the Lord confirmed to Joseph that indeed the child in her womb was indeed the divine son of God. And in John chapter 8, verse 41, even the enemies of Christ understood Christ had a unique birth. When they were challenging Christ in verse 41, they said to Jesus, We are not born of sexual immorality. We have one Father, even God. Very strange thing to say about Christ. But they understood that indeed he did have a very unique birth. So the virgin birth is very important because it fulfills biblical prophecy. His supernatural birth also reveals his supernatural origin. And also, Jesus could not be born in the natural way for he would inherit the sin nature that's passed down from Adam. But the fact that he is born in a supernatural way, the seed of a woman, but also the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary and the Holy Spirit was involved in the birth of Christ, shows you he's born in a supernatural way, not the natural way. Therefore, he did not inherit the sin nature that is passed down to all human beings since Adam. So, being born in a supernatural way also preserves that he is also sinless. He does not inherit that sin nature. That's the importance of the virgin birth. Another important messianic prophecy tied with the birth of Christ is, of course, the famous one in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord shall accomplish this. So in the first half of this prophecy, it speaks of the nature of the king, that he will be human. For to us a child is born, for to us a son is given. So he will be 100% human. But also, he shall also be divine. For he will be called Mighty God, Everlasting Father, or Father of Eternity. Not only is he called Mighty God, but he has an eternal existence. So the future Messiah will be 100% man. He'll be a son. He'll be a male. But he'll also be 100% divine. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And then verse 7 speaks of the rule of the Messiah. He will be one who will bring everlasting peace. He will be a descendant of David, emphasizing his human side, but also that he shall establish an everlasting kingdom and he shall rule forever. His rule will be marked with perfect justice and righteousness forever. So that describes the rule of the king. Jeremiah repeats the major aspects of this future prophecy. In chapter 23, verse 5, Jeremiah states, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up to David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in the land in safety. This is the name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteousness. So here, Jeremiah repeats the major aspects of the nature of the rule of the king that is described in Isaiah chapter 9. Another prophecy referring to the birth of Christ is Micah 5.2, the place of his birth. Micah 5.2 states, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, 
who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. Bethlehem is the city of Jesse and of King David. And even today, Orthodox Jews expect the Messiah to be born in Bethlehem. In Matthew chapter 2, when the wise men come to visit the king, King Herod, seeking to find this king, asks the chief priests and the scribes. He asked them, where is the Christ to be born? And they told, they repeated the prophecy of Micah chapter 5, verse 2. They tell King Herod that he's to be born in the city of Bethlehem. In Matthew chapter 2, after Herod realizes that the Magi have escaped after worshiping Christ, he has all the little boys in Bethlehem under the age of two killed. And Matthew writes, thus fulfilled the prophecy of Jeremiah, saying, A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Matthew here is reciting the prophecy made in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 15. Now, this is a very interesting passage here because when you read the Jeremiah 31, verse 15 in the Old Testament, it doesn't appear to be a prophecy of the slaughter of children in Bethlehem tied with the birth of Christ. However, this is the kind of prophecy we call in the Bible typology. In this prophecy, Jeremiah is prophesying that indeed Jerusalem will be captured by Babylon and there will be weeping in the streets and a slaughter as the Babylonians come, capture Jerusalem and deport the people of Israel to Babylon. He's speaking of that and the weeping that will take place by the women of Israel. So when you read that, it's hard to see that it's a prophecy made indeed of the birth of Christ and the slaughter that occurs in the city of Bethlehem. However, this is what we call typology in the Old Testament. Something happens in the Old Testament, and it's a foreshadowing. It's a type of an event that will occur in the future in regards to the Messiah. And so what Matthew sees here in the slaughter that occurs in Jerusalem during the time of Jeremiah, Matthew sees a typology it's a foreshadowing of what will occur in regards to the birth of Christ in the city of Bethlehem as Herod is seeking out the Messiah and kills Jewish children in his quest to find and destroy the Messiah. So that is a very interesting typology here, a very interesting prophecy here called typology. Now, Joseph is also warned of a dream as the Magi are warned not to return to Herod but go back a different way. Joseph is warned, and he's told by the Lord to go to Egypt. So Joseph leaves for the land of Egypt. And Matthew writes, And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said to the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Matthew there is indeed quoting Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. Out of Egypt I called my son. Once again, that's a very interesting prophecy. When you read the prophecy of Hosea 11, verse 1, it's talking about Israel coming out of the land of Egypt, returning home to the land of Canaan, the promised land. It's hard to see how that would apply to Jesus. However, once again, that's what we call typology. Something happens in the Old Testament, which is a foreshadowing of what is to happen in the life of the Messiah. So it's a typology. You see that in great literature throughout the world. But some of the prophecies foreshadow what is to occur in the future life of the Messiah. So as Israel went to Egypt and then returned to the Promised Land, so the Messiah went to exile into Egypt, and then eventually returned to the land of Israel, thus fulfilling that prophecy. Matthew, being inspired by the Holy Spirit, sees indeed the typology 
okay, or the foreshadowing that occurred in the Old Testament and is fulfilled in the life of Christ. That's a very interesting kind of prophecy we call typology. So those are some of the prophecies that Christ fulfilled referring to the birth of Christ. And remember, fulfillment of prophecy is one of the most powerful evidences that indeed Christ is indeed the prophesied Messiah. So even in his birth, he fulfilled several prophecies made of him. Now, these prophecies not only refer to the birth of Christ, confirming he is indeed the divine Son of God, but also speak and point to the future hope that the Messiah brings, that in our war-torn, sin-filled world, one day the King shall come and establish a righteous, everlasting rule of peace. And so not only in the birth of Christ do we have great hope, but that also starts the ball rolling for these prophecies that will one day be fulfilled, that indeed someday he shall sit on David's throne and rule an everlasting kingdom of peace and righteousness. Thank you for listening to Evidence and Answers, and I hope that you'll have a joyous and blessed Christmas celebrating the birth of Christ, but also remembering the future hope of his return to establish his everlasting kingdom. We'll see you next time here on Evidence and Answers. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed Pat's show today. If you find this broadcast to be a great value to you, please consider partnering with us. Evidence and Answers relies on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate and keep us on the air, you may do so right there online on the homepage of our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. You'll also find we have a wide variety of resources available to you, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. Be sure to share it with your family, your friends, and your church. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide reasons for faith and hope in Christ, right here on Evidence and Answers. <laughs>